You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Tuesday, we would call it Two for Tuesday. But it's not Tuesday, it's Sunday, so we'll call it something extra Sunday. Uh, you get two sermons today. And uh, so pray for Brian and myself because uh, we're used to preaching long sermons. And uh, so we're going to pack them down short and, and concise, hopefully, here. But uh, I would ask you to turn to John chapter 19 uh, with me, or open up your app, scroll to John 19, and there are Bibles underneath the chairs around you if, uh, if you should need one. Today it's my job to take us back to the cross, to take us back to Friday. And in John 19, verses uh, 14 through 16, uh, we have a text that leads up to the event of the crucifixion. Beginning in verse 14, it says, Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And Pilate said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. You pray with me. Father, uh, no king but Caesar. How easily our rebellious souls reject your rule in our hearts. How quickly we exchange you for ourselves or others to rule over us. How often we miss the the beauty of the king standing in our midst. Lord, I pray today that uh, you would remind us of who Jesus Christ is, of who we are, and how deep our need for him is. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I would imagine there was a man standing at the cross that that day, that Friday, who maybe in his own mind those words echoed over and over again. We have no king but Caesar. Maybe, Maybe this statement mixed in with that one. My kingdom is not of this world. And another statement, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Today I want you to join me at the cross with John, the son of thunder, John, the apostle, John, the deserter. Somehow he managed to spend the last few hours staying as far away from Jesus as he could but not too far but yet trying to get as close to him as he as he might but not too close and somehow on that Friday he finds himself close to the cross by the mother of Jesus by Mary and maybe while he stood there with her he he remembered hearing stories straight from her lips, stories of, 
of, of breathless shepherds running into uh, to where Jesus was laid in a manger. And, and, and they, they, they look like they're scared out of their wits, like they've just seen a ghost or maybe a whole host of ghosts. And, and they're saying, is this him? Is this the one? Is this the Savior that was born to us in the city of David? And that meant something to them. In the city of David meant that maybe this was the fulfillment of, of the promise in Second Samuel, the Davidic covenant. That a son would come, an offspring from David, and that his rule would be forever and ever. John might have remembered the story of the Magi, the wise men from the east who once were ruled 600 years ago by Daniel. And how they entered a house bearing gifts and saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have come to kneel before him to kiss his hand in fealty. Maybe he remembers Mary talking about Simeon the old man who had waited all his life to behold the great promise of God. And there he was, eight days old. And that old man said, now I can die. Now I can go to the grave peacefully. For my eyes have seen salvation. A light to the Gentiles and the glory of my people Israel. Maybe those things were all going through John's mind while he stood there next to the the mother of the man dying on the cross. But you see, John didn't just hear stories. We know that he says both in the gospel and in his first letter, in his first epistle, the things that we have seen, the things that we have heard, the things that we have touched. He says we have beheld his majesty. See, John saw the king touch the untouchable and cleanse lepers. He saw the king cast out demons and set people free. He saw the blind, the lame, and the mute given what they, what they had lost, leaping and shouting for joy. But John didn't just see, he, he tasted. John, John tasted the wine that was made out of water at a wedding feast. And he says, oh, I've never tasted anything as good as this. He tasted the satisfying bread that Jesus broke and it it just kept like appearing out of midair. Just more and more bread. The more he broke, the more bread it was. And and John tasted it. He even had leftovers. John also tasted regret. Probably regret for the time when he got mad at a bunch of Samaritans because they wouldn't allow Jesus into their area. And he had the audacity to ask Jesus if he could call fire down from heaven upon them. Just let me nuke him, Jesus. He got a little chewing out for that. He deserved it. He probably regrets having said such things. Maybe he regrets going along with his brother to to their mom and saying, Hey, do you think maybe you can persuade Jesus to place us on each side of his throne when he gets to heaven? And now he's standing before that cross, which is Jesus' throne that day. Thief on one side, thief on the other side. And maybe John thinks, as for James and I belong on each side of Jesus on this throne. John not only tasted, he also, he also smelled things. He, he smelled a boatload of fish 
net so full that they started to swamp his boat. The water was coming in and he was scared to death. He'd fished all night and didn't catch a thing along with his buddy Peter. And then Jesus shows up, a carpenter, and teaches him how to fish. John probably smelled the stench of corruption that came out of Lazarus' grave when they rolled away the stone. And then suddenly, the air changed like a fresh spring rain. John probably thought, that's even better than fresh, fresh baked bread. John smelled the charcoal fire. Again, staying as far away from Jesus as he can, but getting as close as he as he could, as he as he dared. And it was there at that charcoal fire that he probably watched Peter give up on Jesus. And John probably thought what he just did out loud, I've already done. John not only smelled things, he felt. He felt the wind and the waves that blew in his face as he was straining against the oars on Galilee, and then along comes Jesus walking on the waves. John felt that tingle that goes up your spine and all the way down to your fingers, probably when that rooster crowed. And he probably thought, how did he know that? How did he know Peter was going to do that? John felt the heartbeat of his king. Just the night before, as they were reclining at the table for the Last Supper, we're told that that he, he laid so close to Jesus that he could lay his head against Jesus' chest. And I would imagine he, in, in that moment that he did, he, he actually felt the heartbeat of God beating against the back of his skull. And now that heartbeat was starting to fade. John not only felt things, but he also had heard a lot of sounds. He had heard Peter say three times, I do not know this man. He heard the crack of the scourge when it slapped against the flesh of Jesus Christ over and over again. He heard the mockings of the chief priests, of Herod, of Pilate, of the soldiers, of the crowd, of the two criminals hanging in his place, in John and James's place. He heard everybody rail against Jesus and utterly and completely reject him. While John was standing there, as close as he dared to the cross of Jesus, he was surrounded by so much rejection of his king. So much brokenness within his people and himself. The same people who just shouted Hosanna a few days ago. Now said crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. I wonder if it was when in the face of that abject rejection of Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit began the work of whispering words into John that he would later write down. We know in 1 John chapter 1 it says this, the, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. 
He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And then John saw something. You see, when you're crucified with those nails through your wrists and in your feet, there's no way to support your body weight, and so uh, it forces itself up. The internal organs press against the diaphragm and compress against the lungs so that you, you basically die a long, slow death of suffocation on the cross. The only way to draw a breath is you've got to bear down on the nails. And the only way to speak is to really pull down on those nails to draw enough breath. And we know that Jesus said seven things. We just saw them in the video. So you had to choose your words carefully. You only had one quick breath, and you had to say whatever you could say because it was just too painful to, to say too much. John looks up, and he sees a crucified man begin to strain against the nails and press down and lift himself up enough to just draw one shuddering breath and say, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me? That same thief that just a few moments ago was saying, man, you're kind of a lousy savior. What good are you? You know, if, if you're if you're who they say that if you're this king, it's right on your cross. It's Pilate put up their king of the Jews. If that's who you are, then 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 show yourself to be king and come down from there and save yourself and save us too. Why don't you? And then something changed in that thief's heart. Something changed hard enough within him that he stood on a nail. In a very brief utterance, he basically said, Jesus, you are a king. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Jesus, I repent. Take me into your kingdom. Take me with you. That's basically what he was saying in that short little gasp that he could get out. And I wonder if that's when the whisper of the Holy Spirit might have started in John that continues in chapter 1 and verses 12 and 13. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. When that thief stood on that nail and he made that utterance in the midst of all of that rejection, Even after Jesus has cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even in the utter rejection of the Father and the Son, somehow that thief understood what was happening there. And he said, Jesus, remember me. I wonder if a crucified man could smile. I wonder what was on Jesus' face, what was in his eyes as he turned his head to that thief. He said, I promise you, you will be in my kingdom with me. And it is a paradise. And with that, in that moment, 
when that lowly, despised, worthless slag of humanity stood on his nail. It was finished. The rejection of the king was over. If the thief could, might John, might Peter, and the rest of the disciples who deserted him, might you and might I find an end to the rejection, an end to the brokenness? I'd say yes. If we dare to get as close to the cross of Jesus as we can. wanted epic music before preaching. Doesn't it make it seem that much more exciting? Like, yeah! Oh, then he gets up. <laughs> um, so, I would like you to grab your Bible, and uh, we're going to turn to... <laughs> I totally rewrote my sermon while Nick was preaching, so the, this these notes are junk, but I'll take them. Um, turn to Matthew, chapter 28. 
What I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through a passage of scripture, and we're going to need a little bit of uh, a little bit of. I'm going to try to do a little bit of back and forth with you to keep you involved and keep you uh, keep you glued as best as possible. But um, before we jump into that, I need to let you know that Christ is risen. Right now, okay, yeah, great. That's wonderful. But, but I'm curious, I mean, does that excite you? Does that excite you? That Jesus Christ is alive, that he's risen, and that he is actually doing things right now. Doesn't that excite you? This is why we say Christ is risen, not Christ has risen, or he once did that one thing. It's more important than that. Jesus Christ is alive. Just wondering if that's exciting to you because sometimes I know in myself I lose it, right? I lost that feeling of like, man, Jesus is alive. He is here. He is working. He is moving. He is doing things in my life. Sometimes I can lose that. And I think you might maybe sit there as well. But there's more than that. There's also not just that he's alive and we can get excited about that. But did you not know that he is returning soon? Now, you're sitting in a church that uh, we've, we've, Nick kind of introduced us, we've been talking about uh, for the last four weeks, um, the, the organization, the mission organization that this church is affiliated with called the Christian and Missionary Alliance, what it focuses on is we've got these four things we major on, these four portraits of Jesus, and it's Jesus as our Savior, our Sanctifier, our Healer, and our Coming King. we got these little uh, emblems here just, to, just for visual representation. And we've talked about Jesus as our Savior, we've talked about three weeks ago, Jesus as our Sanctifier, two weeks ago. Jesus is our healer, and this week, and I don't know why I've never done this, we get to talk about Jesus as our coming king, and I've never preached that on Easter. Why? That's what this day is all about. He rose from the grave and said, you know what? Death, take that. I'm on it. And he stepped forward, launching his entirety, uh, launching the entirety of human history towards his end. And it's a fantastic thing. This church, uh, this mission organization, <clears throat> is part of a, a fairly long history. It's been around for uh, since the mid 1800s, and uh, there was this theologian that uh, was a brash, uh, long bearded, super hipster before hipsters were hipster kind of guy uh, named Albert Benjamin Simpson, A.B. Simpson. And he was once asked by a news reporter during and amidst, um, during, you know, amidst all these uh, different organizations we see actually living today, like uh, Jehovah's Witness organization, Mormon organization, all these things that kind of cropped up talking about the return of Jesus, a, a, a prominent paper, a prominent uh, newspaper reporter went to Albert Benjamin Simpson and said, hey, do you know when Jesus is coming back? And he said, you better believe it, I do. I can tell you exactly the day. And the reporter said, really? And he said, yeah, 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 yeah. But you have to print exactly what I say. And if you don't print exactly what I say, then I'm not doing this interview. And the reporter said, Sure. I'll, I'll print exactly what you say. So Simpson opened his Bible to Matthew twenty four fourteen and read the words, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. He said, Jesus hasn't returned, so guess what? Our job's not done. Printed in a New York paper in the late 1800s. The risen king is returning. Make no mistake about it. Jesus stepped out of the grave. Jesus shook the grave clothes off. Jesus stepped away from that for a reason. For a reason. Now imagine, if you will, that you have a friend or a family member, somebody who's really close to you, and, and they pass away. For some of you, this is not hard to imagine, because some of you, in fact, some of you even sitting here have experienced loss this weekend. 
But imagine a family member passes away. And three days later, later they show up at your Easter dinner, ready to eat ham and potatoes. What you're going to think in that moment is, I need to hear exactly what's going to come out of this person's mouth. I need to pay attention to everything that this person is doing because something incredible has happened. And Jesus has many words that have come out of his mouth after he, uh, after he raises from the dead. And they're recorded in scripture. And I want to walk you through Matthew chapter 28. I wasn't intending to go here, but this is an incredible passage. One of my favorites. It's actually written into the kind of DNA of this church. Uh, Matthew chapter 28. And what I'm going to do is, those of you, uh, let's see, show of hands. Who here is reading an NIV, New International Version? Okay. Uh, the, the nearly inspired version is just not going to cut it this time. Um, so, because, and I'll show you why. It actually is, there's a few things that in translation you skip past because they're, they're words that are actually in the original text that don't make a whole lot of sense in our culture. So I want to I explain these things to you. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read um, Matthew chapter 28. And what I want you to do is I want you to pay very close attention to what I'm reading. And every time I read the words, and behold, okay, every time I read the words, and behold, I want you to say, and behold, afterwards. So let's practice. Ready? And behold. And behold. And behold. And. Behold. and, and oh, uh, no. <laughs> Cheaters. Okay? And what this is, is this is a, this, this word, the, the words that are translated, Greek words that are translated for and behold, the word is an experiential scene. It would be more akin to the words of like, and behold, my child was born. That's not just a like, and it happened. That's like a, man, this rocked me to my core because all of a sudden there wasn't a human and now there's a human. Like, oh, wow, it's crazy, right? So this and behold is like really a powerful experiential scene of something. It's sometimes translated into your New King James or your New American Standard as, and lo, which actually is a Latin equivalent of the word behold, but then turned into an abbreviation and somehow kept in our Bibles. I don't know really how that happened. But, and lo is the word for and behold. And, um, and, and sometimes it's just completely omitted. But let me read this. And as I'm reading it, like I've said, when I'm reading it, I'm going to say, and behold, and? Okay, good, good. You got it. Okay, good. You guys are somewhat okay. You got a B plus on that one. Matthew chapter 28. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Now, anybody ever been in an earthquake before? Raise your hand if you've been in an earthquake. What does it feel like? I have no idea. I've never been in one. What does it feel like? Shaky. Shaky. Thank, thank you. <laughs> I've been to Shaky's before. It's delicious. The mojos are amazing. Anyways, um... Yes, go ahead. No, anyway, yeah, you, you're Cali boy. Okay, go ahead. It's kind of like you realize it was an earthquake a few minutes after it. You're like, oh, wow, that just happened. <laughs> yeah, so it's like something you don't necessarily even know what's happening while it's happening. Yeah, I have heard some people say that you're like, your equilibrium inside your brain gets a little bit off and you just kind of get a little disoriented or it's like, Whoa, what is going on? It's a little bit weird. Does that, that sound about right? Yeah, that's pretty close. Okay, so that's the idea here, right? Like, and behold, there was a great earthquake. See, that's an experiential thing. It's not like, oh, look, I saw it measured on the Richter scale. I guess there was an earthquake. No, it's something you experience. 
For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, this is verse 2, and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He's not here, for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going to be, he's going before you to Galilee. Now that's also not like, like, okay, just think about this. This isn't like, and, and just, you know, take a look at the fact that he's going to go off to Galilee. No big deal. It's just a map thing. No, this is like an experiential and behold that he is going to Galilee before you. There is going to be a guy who rose from the dead and he appears actually a long way from here. He's going to Galilee. It's a long ways from where he was buried. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they, these are the ladies, departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. Like, okay, that's just awesome, right? I mean, think about that. And I don't know actually what the Greek word is. I'd have to look it up. But uh, it's actually quite a funny translation, right? Like Jesus just appears. He's like, greetings. You know? (laughs) It's just a little Marvin the Martian thing going on there. But he just says, he's like, hey, what's up? Okay, we're just going to translate it like that. Why not? And it's just so normal. Imagine the disciples' face here, right? Like Jesus shows up, greetings, and they're like, oh my goodness! Super powerful. And they came up and they took a hold of his feet and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they, while they were going, behold, and some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. Now this one's pretty awesome because the chief, they, these guards have to go report. You ever do the walk of shame to have to report something? They're like, oh man, I just broke my mom's window with whatever you broke your mom's window with. And you're like walking going, okay. Like this is an experience that we know. If you've ever had to go to a boss and say something like, well, uh, the nuclear reactor blew up today. Sorry about that. I was supposed to push the button. Sorry, my dad worked in a nuclear plant. Never actually happened. But that's. Uh, but this is what's going on is these guys fail. The body's no longer there. And they have to go. And, and behold, they, they, go to the, they go to the chief priests and tell them all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people... His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a powerful statement. Think about that coming from a guy who was once dead and now is alive. All authority in heaven and on earth. I have it all. All power. I've got it. And then, go therefore. Go therefore. Because of all the power that was given to me, you go and you make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want you to focus on that. 
that experiential seeing and knowing this, this end beholdness of this whole thing, right? Like we've seen it over and over and over again. This was once an earthquake and then it was like having to do the walk of shame. And then it's, you know, it's all these things of experiencing this incredible thing that's going on, this scene with an incredible experiential knowledge. And Jesus says, go because I have authority, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. And so what we talk about here at church is this. You ever want to see Jesus? Who would give their right arm to see Jesus right today and talk to him face to face? Anybody give their right arm to see Jesus talk to him face to face? Everybody's like, I don't know, my right arm's pretty important. Who would give their left arm for... Yeah, all the lefties, left hands went up. Uh Here's the deal. Jesus, the God of the universe who came to this earth... To be broken, and to be bruised, and to be battered, but to rise from the dead. The words that come out of his mouth after he has risen is, As you make disciples, you will see and experience the reality of me with you. And I like to reverse engineer this and tell you that honestly, you might not feel and see and, and experience the fullness of the presence of Jesus if you're not making disciples. If you're not with him on mission, if you're not proclaiming his gospel to the nations, and we do that in a lot of of different ways by praying and sending and giving and going, but if we are not focused on God's world, for God's heart for the world, on his global heart, I don't know if this promise necessarily applies. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go and tell them about the kingdom that I came and that I died for and that I rose again to bring. Go and tell them. Go and show them. Go and live this out. Go, go, go. And if you go and when you go, you will see me with you. You will experience me with you. I don't know where many of you are at today. If you... Where your, where your faith's at, where your faith is sitting. If you're kind of trying to figure out your Christianity, which all, which all of us are, like we're trying to figure out our relationship with Jesus, I want to let you know that this is a powerful thing, and I know my life has lived this out, is the second Jesus called me and said, you will go to the end of the earth, a.k.a. Rapid City. You will go to as far as you, you possibly can, which seems like the end of the earth sometimes. But when you go and as you follow, you will experience me with you. And I don't know if I would have experienced Jesus the way that I have apart from going, apart from walking in step with Him, apart from obeying Him, apart from doing all these wild, crazy things, going on these crazy adventures that He's called me to do. Last week you heard from a whole group of people that I just took to the Philippines a couple weeks ago. And I know that every single one of them, that's what they saw in a different way. Each one of them saw it as they walked, as they moved. They saw God provide. They saw Jesus call them. They saw Jesus arrange things. They saw Jesus equip them. They saw Jesus put them in front of people. They saw people's hearts open because of the Holy Spirit. And they saw Him move. And if you want to see Jesus in your life... This is it. But here's the cool thing. Jesus doesn't stop saying, and behold. I'd like you to turn over to Revelation 19, or Revelation 21, excuse me. Revelation 21. This is just so cool. I gotta geek out a little bit. Revelation 21. 
And this is John, the same John that Nick just talked about, the same John that could see and feel, the same John that beheld Jesus, right? Like that's what Nick just unpacked is that he saw and he felt and he tasted and he he lived with Jesus and this impactful experience wasn't just from a theological book or or reading about it. It was actually, a, a, a he was engrossed into this experimental walk with Jesus. It was a powerful thing that John beheld. And this is the same John, toward the end of his life, Jesus gives him a vision of what's yet to come, and it's an incredibly strange vision, actually, if you want to study it. Um, I'd love to study it with you. Uh, You can buy me coffee. But Revelation 21 says this at the end, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Isn't that powerful? Jesus doesn't stop saying, and behold, like this promise is like, and and behold, uh, God is going to dwell with humanity and they will come in and on, they will be with him and, and he will wipe away every tear. And there will be no more crying. He's going to make everything new. In verse five, and he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. (laughs) Now, same phrase as it is finished. I want you to see that too. Same phrase as it is finished. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, As for the faithless, the detestable, for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And I find it incredibly interesting that the warning and the judgment comes afterwards where he says, but as for the cowardly and the faithless. Right? Go therefore to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I command. Jesus says to you, go, what's the first response? But, 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 I'm unsure of the money. I'm unsure of the time. I don't think you really know what you're getting me into, Jesus. That's the part I don't like about Scripture is because I'm sitting there, right there, like looking in a mirror going, where am I? Am I the cowardly and the faithless? Or am I the one that believes that the one who rose from the dead and said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me is the one who meant it and proved it and bought it and did it and continues to do it? And this is what our mission is. This is what he has called us to do. We have been given a clear mandate and a clear call and a clear mission to partner with Jesus as he's bringing about this incredible end of there being no more tears and no more mourning and no more death and none of that stuff. We get to be a part of that just like 
Albert Benjamin Simpson, the super hipster before hipster was hipster guy said, I know when he's coming back because he says, and this gospel of the good news of the kingdom of God will be proclaimed to all nations as a testimony. And then, and then the end will come. We have a job to do. Jesus died on a cross and unfortunately we can so often just focus on the suffering servant who humbled himself and died and that is a beautiful picture of who God is and we must not turn away from that. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. That's a beautiful thing. But until we focus on the Jesus who is on the throne of God right now, ruling and reigning over all and commands us to therefore go. Until we get a hold of that, our life will always look like the suffering servant Jesus. Our mission will always look like the suffering servant Jesus. But once we get a look at that throne, our mission looks like the suffering servant who got out of the grave and went with confidence saying, I have all authority and nothing can stop it. So I ask you on this Easter, do you believe in the risen Savior? Do you believe... That he has risen. When we say he has risen indeed. Is that just something we know. Or is that something we have beheld. Is that something we have experienced. Is that something we have known. From the pit of our soul. And the pit of our stomach. Today as we wrap up. We have this beautiful table set out before us. And what I love about communion is every single time I get to preach on communion and teach it and, 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 and shove it kind of into a message, it fits every time. Which is so beautiful that the Lord Jesus kind of chose this as the method that we will proclaim Him. Like, here's the deal. Jesus came and He was broken and He was bruised and His blood was spilled. Like, that's a reality. This is what we're taking in. But I will tell you this. Jesus says, on the night he was betrayed, he says, and, and what Paul says, is that on the night he betrayed, he took the cup and he, uh, and he took the bread and he broke it, said, this is my body broken for you. He took the cup, said, this is the covenant, the new covenant in my blood, which has been given for you. And then he says, and Paul ties in here, as long as you do this, you proclaim my death until I come. This is the heartbeat of who we are. We carry the body and the death of Jesus Christ, but also the resurrection power and the fact that we're covered in His blood and the fact that our body doesn't have to be broken anymore. We get to carry that from this place to that place, to the world that needs to know about Jesus. And I love the way Nick tied this in. Like that, 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 uh, that criminal on the cross. It's almost as if when you're reading the story, you're thinking that Jesus is waiting until that criminal on the cross says, Jesus, will you remember me? It's like right after that, Jesus goes, it's finished. Finally, the last one came in of this era. Jesus is very patient. He's waiting. He's accomplishing his mission. He's doing the things that that he's doing. He doesn't actually need us to get it accomplished. But guess what? He has asked us and he has mandated us. And we get a chance to partner with him and proclaim his glory to all nations. That's what this table is all about. So we practice open communion here at Common Ground Church. You don't have to be a, a member here to take communion. We just ask that you do business with Jesus and whatever he's stirring in your heart, that is the business you need to do with him. If it's laying your life down at his feet saying, you know what, I haven't lived that way. I haven't gone. I haven't done. I haven't made a disciple in my life. 
maybe that's the moment you need to, this is the moment you need to give that over to him. Or maybe you're sitting here going, I don't even know this Jesus. This is the first time I've heard that he died, he rose again, he's returning. Well, here's the deal. Impending return is coming. And so we need to give our life to Jesus because we have this life. Hebrews tells us that is appointed once for man to live and die and then to face judgment. And we have this life. So you can give your heart and give your life to Jesus. Walk in step with His mission. Have His Word and His Spirit permeate you. And I will I will tell you, you will never regret seeing Jesus come through in your life. You will never regret seeing Jesus show up and rock somebody to their core and bring them from being someone who's under a curse to completely and totally saved. Powerful thing. And you will never get enough of yourself being under a curse to being completely and wonderfully saved. So we're going to sing two songs. We're going to pray, sing two songs. And as, and during those two songs, you can come and you can partake. Um, again, at Common Ground here, we believe that there's no mediator between you and God, that's just, just Jesus Christ. And so you can come and you can take and you do business with Jesus and let Him lead you in this process as we worship Him. Lord Jesus, we come before You. I come before You, Lord. Admitting that I often lose the excitement of the fact that you are alive and you have risen and you're sitting at the right hand of the Father and you've got all authority and all power and you've placed all authorities on this earth for our good and for the good of the church, even the ones we disagree with and don't like. Lord, you have done these things and continue to do them for the good of your glory. And so that at the end of the end of time, we're going to stand before you and not a single person is going to be like, oh, Jesus, you could have done it better. We're going to be standing there going, I cannot believe how ma- how incredibly beautifully and how majestically you've pulled this off, how every single sin has not gone unpunished and every single thing has been brought to justice and every single person has been taken care of correctly. And Lord Jesus, we're going to be able to stand before you and say, wow, the King truly has come. Lord, help us to never lose sight of your kingly nature. Help us to never lose sight of who you are. And help us to be completely rocked by the fact that you promise in your scripture that as we move, we will behold you. We will see you like an earthquake. We will feel you deep in our soul. Lord, thank you that you you have risen. Thank you that you are a risen Savior and we serve a risen Savior. Come, Lord Jesus, come soon. And may we be about the mission of bringing you back by sharing the gospel, the good news of hope and salvation to those all around us. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.